Hello, everyone, and welcome to the September 27th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarin Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A new WCAB panel decision concluded that modified work is not required after discovery by the employer of the injured worker's undocumented status. In this case, Paola Flores was a driver for Westside Accurate Courier Services when she was injured in a motor vehicle accident in 2018. Temporary disability was paid by the employer, and then she returned to work. The employer told her they had plans to promote her, but they needed to verify some information about her before they could give her the promotion. In the process, the employer discovered that she was not eligible to work. When this was discovered, she was given two choices. One was to resign, and the other one was to be fired because she could not work in the United States. So she chose to resign. Subsequent medical reports stated that she could only do modified work compatible with certain work restrictions provided by her physicians. Thus, this case proceeded to trial on the issue of continuing temporary total disability. She contended that since she could only do modified work, and since modified duty was not available, she was therefore entitled to temporary disability benefits. But a finding and order issued denying her further TD benefits, and a petition for reconsideration was denied in the panel decision of Flores versus West Side Accurate Courier Services. The Labor Code provides that all protections, rights, and remedies available under state law except any reinstatement remedy prohibited by federal law are available to all individuals regardless of immigration status. However, the California Supreme Court held in the 2014 case of Salas versus Sierra Chemical Company that this labor code section is not preempted by federal immigration law except to the extent it authorizes an award of lost pay damages for any period after the employer's discovery of an employee's ineligibility to work in the United States. Although the Supreme Court's decision in Solis pertained to FIHA, the ruling clearly applies to the provisions of the labor code regarding workers' compensation injury claims. The circumstances in this case matter are analogous to those where where the WCAB has held that an injured employee who is terminated from his or her employment for a good cause is not entitled to TD benefits. Here, whether the applicant resigned or was constructively discharged the defendant cannot legally employ the applicant and in turn cannot be liable for benefits incurred after it learned that applicant could not be employed. Applicant's inability to work is not the result of the defendant's conduct. It is because the applicant cannot legally be employed. A federal judge tentatively approved more than a $450 million settlement with three pharmaceutical giants who were accused of conspiring to jack up the price of an essential diabetes drug. 
in a consolidated class action filed in federal court in Northern California, <clears throat> drug wholesalers claim that Bausch Health Companies, Lupin Pharmaceuticals, Assertio Therapeutics, and their affiliated companies struck anti-competitive deals that caused the price of brand-name diabetes drug Glumetza to spike nearly 800% from $5.72 to more than $51 per tablet. A jury trial was set to start in early October. Before that could happen, however, settlements with all three pharma giants were filed over the last few days. Bausch will pay $300 million, Lupin will pay $150 million, and Assertio will pay $3.85 million. The Assertio settlement is significantly smaller due to the firm's tenuous financial condition and pending opioid litigation that could push the company into bankruptcy. According to the consolidated lawsuit, Assertio Therapeutics conspired with Lupin to delay lower-cost generic versions of Glumetza from entering the market. This conspiracy was part of a 2012 settlement agreement between the companies in a patent suit, whereupon Lupin agreed to delay introducing its generic version of Glumetza until February 2016. In exchange, Assertio and Santaros, which had exclusive rights to make and sell Glumetza in the U.S. at the time, agreed to postpone launching their own generic until six months after Lupin entered the market. This gave Lupin a guaranteed six-month period to exclusively sell its generic version. The drug wholesalers say that deal was worth at least $56 million to Lupin, but it actually became much more valuable in 2016 when the price of Glumetza increased nearly nine times over, allowing Lupin to charge $44 per tablet instead of the $4 it would have otherwise charged. The wholesalers say this pay-for-delay deal amounted to $280 million in value for Lupin and billions of dollars in extra sales for Bausch, the company that inherited exclusive rights to make and sell Glumetza through a web of corporate acquisitions and name changes. The plaintiff wholesalers say this scheme also caused them to pay $2.8 billion in overcharges since 2012. The class action attorneys will ask for fees amounting to 25% of the total settlements or $114.7 million, which will be deducted from the combined settlement fund. The owners of Sonoma County's only psychiatric hospital, Aurora Santa Rosa Hospital, have agreed to pay $2.85 million to settle a lawsuit that alleges a number of state labor code violations, including significant understaffing that led to unsafe working conditions for nurses and other staff. Back in 2018, the former director of nursing, Teresa Brooke, filed the lawsuit, alleging that understaffing caused pervasive Cal-OSHA violations at a Santa Rosa behavioral health care hospital 
operated by Signature Healthcare Services, LLC. They're one of the largest privately held behavioral health hospital conglomerates in the United States. The plaintiff sought to recover labor code penalties on behalf of the state of California for unlawful working conditions experienced by nurses and other hospital staff. Attorneys claim that staffing ratios of registered nurses to patients at the hospital at times 19 patients to one registered nurse and another licensed staff number created unsafe working environment for nurses and other staff. On August 25, the Superior Court of California approved a settlement including a gross settlement fund of $2,850,000 with $2,046,750 being paid to the state of California and nearly $683,000 being paid to the hospital staff. The court-approved settlement also includes various additional measures agreed to by the parties, including notice to employees that they will not face repercussions for speaking up regarding unsafe or unlawful practices. The settlement further provides for the parties to jointly retain an outside expert to evaluate the hospital's policies, practices, and procedures and make recommendations for any changes it may deem needed to improve working conditions for the frontline staff who care for acute patients. The lead plaintiff's attorney said that this is the first of its kind, a significant Public Attorney General Act settlement centering on occupational health and safety in a hospital. The settlement is heavily focused on the employee population who has been mostly impacted, nurses and mental health workers. The co-lead counsel said that this case reinforces that we can and should be pursuing labor code and whistleblower actions aimed at deterring violations and improving conditions for hospital workers. According to the law firms, other employment rights cases remain pending against Signature Healthcare. And now our crime report, a strategically coordinated six-week nationwide federal law enforcement action has resulted in criminal charges against 138 defendants, including 42 doctors, nurses, and other licensed medical professionals in 31 federal districts across the United States for their alleged participation in various health care fraud schemes that result in about $1.4 billion in alleged losses. The enforcement action includes criminal charges against four defendants in the Southern District of California involving more than $129 million in intended losses. <clears throat> nationwide, this answer action, nationwide, this action includes more than $1.1 billion in fraud committed using telemedicine, more than $29 million in COVID-19 healthcare fraud, more than $133 million connected to substance abuse treatment facilities or sober living homes, and more than $160 million connected to other healthcare fraud and illegal opioid distribution schemes across the country. In the Southern District of California, 
Rosalia Kubek and Rosario Gonzalez pleaded guilty to having approached residents of senior complexes in El Centro and Calexico, California, and offering COVID-19 screening tests for the residents. At the time, the defendants knew that the test would not actually test for COVID-19, but would be a general respiratory pathogen screening panel that tested for the presence of several kinds of respiratory pathogens. They also took urine samples without explaining that the urine samples were not necessary to conduct a COVID-19 test. The defendants then completed requisition forms for tests on the nasal swabs and urine samples and inaccurately indicated on the forms that the beneficiaries needed the respiratory tests because they were suffering from acute respiratory infections and needed urine tests because the beneficiaries were long-term users of opiates or had urinary tract infections. The laboratories that performed the test subsequently submitted inaccurate and medically unnecessary claims to Medicare based on the inaccurate diagnosis put on the requisition forms. Also in the Southern District of California, Ronald Charles Green Jr. and Melinda Elizabeth Green were charged with conspiring to defraud TRICARE and Medicare out of more than $129 million dollars in connection with a compounding pharmacy fraud. These defendants allegedly submitted false and fraudulent claims to TRICARE for expensive and medically unnecessary pain creams, scar creams, and multivitamins, which were billed through compound pharmacies. The defendants also allegedly launched multiple durable medical equipment companies and carried out a scheme to defraud Medicare through the submission of false and fraudulent claims for expensive durable medical equipment through a system of illegal kickbacks. Since its inception in March 2007, the Healthcare Fraud Strike Force, which maintains 15 strike forces operating in 24 federal districts, has charged more than 4,600 defendants who have collectively billed the Medicare program for about $23 billion. Charges have been filed against multiple suspects and an organized insurance and workers' compensation fraud scheme that defrauded insurance carriers out of over $5 million in estimated losses. The former owners of Signature Painting and Construction Incorporated, Eric Andrew Aller, and Brian Christopher Mitchell were each charged with one felony count of conspiracy to commit a crime, six counts each of felony insurance fraud, and two counts of workers' compensation fraud. This company is based in Walnut Creek, but operates throughout the Bay Area. Defendant Yama Sikander, owner of A1 World Class Painting, was also charged with one count of felony workers' compensation fraud. Aller is also the owner of Valhalla Consulting, which along with A1 was used as a shell company by Mitchell to pay employees at Signature Painting. Signature Painting allegedly paid its employees using Valhalla Consulting's bank account with the intent to illegally reduce its workers' compensation insurance premium. 
signature painting misrepresented information or did not include information about its company structure and payroll costs to its insurance carriers to, in order to illegally reduce its insurance premiums. It is alleged that Mitchell was illegally misclassifying employees and underreporting payroll costs to reduce workers' comp premiums. Mitchell and Aller were also accused of entering into agreements <clears throat> to move employees from one company to another to save money on workers' compensation insurance. Some employees at Signature Painting and Construction allegedly were also paid under the table so that the company could avoid paying or reporting the proper taxes. State Compensation Insurance Fund suffered a loss of about $3.1 million, while Amtrust loss was about $1.9 million as a result of this fraud scheme. The investigation into the defendants began in 2019 after the state fund submitted a fraud referral to the California Department of Insurance. The next date for these defendants will be November 18th at the East County Hall of Justice in Dublin, California. According to a new report, Global Insurance Fraud Detection Market Report and Forecast 2021-26, the global insurance fraud detection market attained a value of about $2.7 billion in 2020, and the market is projected to grow at a compound annual growth rate of 25.6% between 2021 and 2026, and at that time should reach $10.75 billion. Insurance fraud detection refers to services and systems which are deployed to track and analyze data to identify irregularities and provide real-time monitoring for fraud prevention. Different types of frauds can include identity theft, billing and payment frauds, cyber attacks, and false claims. Fraud detection solutions like fraud analytics, authentication and governance, risk and compliance are employed for effective management of fraudulent activities. Fraud detection systems are crucial to safeguard the interests of both insurer and insured across various sectors, including the healthcare, automobile, and infrastructural. The market growth of insurance fraud detection can be attributed to integration of technological advancements in detection services, including artificial intelligence, machine learning, and the Internet of Things. The healthcare sector witnessed an invigorated rise in the number of suspicious claims globally, so insurance companies are making robust investments in fraud detection services. With the availability of cost-friendly, effective, and advanced fraud detection services, small and medium enterprises are increasingly deploying fraud analytics in their working systems to protect the businesses from potential risks of frauds. And in regulatory news, on September 15th, the Division of Workers' Compensation announced that the 2022 minimum and maximum temporary disability rates will not change next year. 
They said that in an announcement that the minimum TD rate would remain $203.44 and the maximum TTD rate will remain $1,356.31 a week. However, now it says that the announcement was premature. This week, the DWC announced that the September 15, 2021 announcement has been withdrawn. The decision to withdraw the September 15 newsline was based on finding that the state average weekly wage data posted by the U.S. Department of Labor, which under the Labor Code is used to determine the annual TDD rates in California, was preliminary and incomplete. Thus, the TD rates in the September 15 newsline should not be used or relied upon in determining indemnity benefits for the upcoming year. The DWC will issue a new newsline with the correct 2022 rates when the corrected data is posted and confirmed by the Department of Labor. According to a new study from the Workers' Compensation Research Institute, workers with low back pain who received manual therapy early, that means within two weeks of their physical therapy care, had lower medical costs and fewer days away from work than those who received it later. Manual therapy is hands-on therapy that improves range of motion and reduces pain. The study focuses on low back pain claims in 28 states, including California. These workers who received manual therapy early were associated with lower costs and shorter temporary disability duration, as compared with late manual therapy, which occurred after two weeks of physical therapy care. Early manual therapy was also associated with a lower likelihood of receiving magnetic resonance imaging, pain management injections, and opioids as compared with the late manual therapy group. Large interstate variations in the utilization of manual therapy services were seen across the 28 study states, which could be explained by differences in state policies influencing provider practices and billing. Comp Pharma offers retrospective and real-time pharmacy benefit management audits along with a range of consulting services to workers' compensation payers. And the company just published its 17th annual Survey of Prescription Drug Management in Workers' Compensation. The report finds that workers' compensation prescription drug costs have decreased by about $1.8 billion, or 38%, over the last decade. The total workers' drug spend was about $3 billion in 2020. Several drivers contributed to this decline, including massive decrease in opioid utilization an impact on co-prescribing, significant reduction in California's pharmacy fee schedule, a very competitive pharmacy benefit management market, 
and a consolidated PBM industry providing greater buying power. The structural decline in drug costs seen for the last nine years continued in 2020 as workers' compensation and pharmacy costs decreased 12.3% across all payers surveyed. This follows 2018's 10.1% and 2017's 9.8% decline. While the double-digit drop is quite significant, there is a wide variation among the respondents with changes ranging from a decrease of 279 to a 10% increase in costs. There was more variation this year than in any other recent survey. This was likely due to the broad range of respondents, such as public entities, state funds, and payers of last resort resort, and their exposure to COVID-19. Four respondents reported declines greater than 20%. Fully half of all respondents attributed the drop in spend to fewer claims or the impact of COVID. Another key contributor was the continuation of significant year-over-year reductions in opioid spend. Opioid spend in 2020 dropped 17% of total drug spend across all respondents. Back in February 2020, the National Council of Compensation Insurance published an article comparing the quantity and prices of physician services between workers' compensation and group health. Now, a newly published article this week extends that work by also looking at the mix of services. Workers' compensation costs more than group health care, to treat comparable injuries after controlling for claim characteristics such as age and gender. Chronic pain-related injuries such as bursitis and back disorders have larger differentials among the 12 injuries studied. Unit price differentials vary principally by state, with most states having higher unit prices for workers' compensation than for group health. There are distinct patterns of medical services by service category, comparing workers' compensation to group health. Evaluation, management, and physical medicine costs are higher for work comp due to greater utilization. For workers' compensation, the greatest proportional component difference is utilization of physical medicine. For chronic cases, radiology and surgery cost more for workers' comp due to both higher unit prices and greater utilization. A greater volume of services is a primary driver for higher treatment costs for workers' comp over group health for primary care. For specialty care, such as radiology and surgery, greater volume combines with more expensive mix of procedures to drive workers' comp treatment costs higher especially on more complex injuries. For all age groups, quantity dominates mix in driving workers' comp costs higher than group health and are greatest after age 40. So that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. 
And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news, podcast, and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd Scarin, Manuki, and Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.